Okay, <clears throat> thank you so much, uh, Christy, for sharing so openly and vulnerably and honestly uh, about uh, your walk with God and that sort of thing. So it's very, very impacting. And uh, yeah, pray for us with a new teen driver. Amen? Amen. He's an awesome driver. So, okay. Um, well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, and um, we're going to continue today with uh, our sermon series on the love of God, and so far we have talked about God's love being a covering love, and how God's love covers us, covers our shame, covers our sin, and uh, uh, how God's love also is an abundant love, so that the love in the world can run rather thin. But God's love is a thick and uh, abundant uh, love. And then last week, Grayson, I thought, did an an amazing job talking about God's enduring love. And, uh, um, you know, uh, speaking of enduring love, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. And there is a couple amongst us today who is celebrating uh, their anniversary and it is not a one-year or two-year or five-year anniversary but uh, Kevin and Deb Nance are celebrating their 40-year anniversary today. Amen? And so that's awesome. An enduring love. Amen? And uh, uh, many more years to come. So awesome. Congratulations to you two, and we honor you for the example that you set uh, and provide for all of us. So, awesome. Okay. You know, I think we, we uh, all believe that God is a God of love. And these rather large uh, understandings of God's covering love, abundant love, enduring love, are on a pretty large kind of a grand level, so to speak. Sometimes we can struggle with how much God's love is actually involved in our day-to-day lives, in the, the details, so to speak. Of our life. And so today we're going to talk about how God's love is a detailed love. A detailed love. Our goal is to understand, to be filled with, and to overflow the amazing detailed love of God. Sometimes we just, since God is not present physically, uh, it's easier for us to lose grip on that God's love is. Detail, in a detailed way in and around our life. God can just seem kind of on a, a throne somewhere out there. And uh, the truth, though, is that God is incredibly involved in a very detailed way in and around our lives. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 10 as some of our key texts uh, for today. So if you'd turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. The Bible says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your teenage driver. Mm. It doesn't actually say that, but it should. Uh, or about your body. I'm sorry, I, it shouldn't, I didn't mean to say that the Bible should say something that it doesn't say. Take that off the internet. Okay. What you eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? 
and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about the clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass, the field, here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, have <clears throat> tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus here uses... A few examples from creation to demonstrate, to illustrate that God isn't just off in his throne and detached and uninvolved. That God actually is incredibly involved in the details of even here he uses uh, a few sparrows and some lilies of the field. He says, God is incredibly involved in the details of a lily. How much more will he be involved in the details of your life? Because you actually are worth even more than the grass in the field. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's encouraging, what you say. Okay, let's go over to Matthew chapter 10. Again, he uses creation to illustrate who God is. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Who of us in here struggles with fear? Worry? Anxiety? I know some of us are a little anxious about how the Vikings game is going right now. We, it's time to let it go, worship God. Amen? Um, so Jesus, again here, uses the sparrows. He says, and he gets a little more detailed, two sparrows will be worth about a penny. So in other words, each sparrow is worth half a cent. Okay? And yet God takes care of the sparrows. And he says that we're worth even more. And then he goes into a very... Um, interesting illustration. He talks about the very hairs on our head, that they are numbered. And I'll refrain from using the joke about how there's more numbers on some of our heads than others. 
So that's not very funny. Um, but is it, it is interesting. It's an illustration on how God is detailed in His understanding and love and design and creation of you and I. And I thought about, why did Jesus use hairs? And I was thinking, you know, maybe, the, maybe in that era, that was some of the most uh, developed understanding of the fin- finite uh, things on our bodies. Um, since then, though, and by the way, about how many hairs uh, are on the average person's head? Does anybody know? Let's have a little... Uh, 12,000, okay, 23,000, three, okay. So according to Google, uh, there's 100 to 150,000 hairs on the average person's head, okay. Now, each one of those is numbered, one, two, three, four, okay. But let's talk about, let's go a little level deeper. How about the number of cells in the human body? Do you think that God is limited? It's like, no, he knows the number of hairs, but not really the number of cells. No, I don't think that's the point, right? So the cells in the average human, and for some reason they put the average human was 30 years old, 5 foot 7 and 154 pounds. I often, always, all of a sudden felt, Old, tall, and fat. Anyways, um, but for this average human, how many cells in the body? 30 billion. Not even close. 37.2 trillion cells. 37.2 trillion cells in your body. And I would propose to you that if God has the number of hairs numbered, that he would have the number of cells numbered. How about this? Um, David Blattner, who's a science writer, wrote, it, it has a book that is entitled Our Mind-Boggling Universe from Infinitesimal to Infinity. And, and if God knows this much microscopic things, how about some macroscopic things like the number of uh, galaxies in the universe. We're always blown away by these numbers. Two trillion galaxies in the universe. And so the number of stars that are out there, if we were to attempt to count them, which is impossible to count, would be 70 stars with 21 zeros behind the 70. So 7 times 10 to the 22nd power. That's how many stars there are. And we're familiar mainly with one star, right? The sun. I'd say the sun uh, uh, has a pretty big impact on our lives. That's one out of one or seven times 10 to the 23rd. Okay? So this is, this is beyond our mind's ability to grasp. Now you're starting to get the point, okay? How about the grains of sand? Do you think there's more stars in the universe or grains of sand on the earth? Who thinks? It's more stars? Same, okay? 
It's more sand? Sand? Okay, let's get a sand. Who thinks sand? Grains of sand? Who thinks stars? Okay, pretty close. Uh, actually, there are estimated at 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power grains of sand. So there's a few more stars, like um, 1 times 10 to the 7th uh, more stars. So 10 uh, billion-ish more stars than grains of sand on the whole planet. Are you kidding me? And yet God spoke with a few words all of this into existence. And by the way, that's not the point of the sermon, but if, if you don't believe in intelligent design, then let's talk about it. I'd love to meet with you and, and look at some things because even the most educated scientists now have no answer for how this all could work and fit together. Um, so, so those are huge numbers. But let me ask you this question. The number of water molecules, H2O, molecules in a drop of water, actually 10 drops of water, normal drops, has the same number of grains of sand in the universe. And so the conclusion that this guy, as he studied all these things, the conclusion was, was this quote, we can't handle the bigotude. B-I, not bigot, B-I-G-O-T. Can't handle that either. We can't handle the bigotude. I think he created that word. So that made me feel better because I create some words too sometimes during sermons. But we can't handle it. Our minds can't handle it. Okay? So these are, the, my point in all this is to help us to understand God is incredibly detailed from the finite, the infinitely small, to the infinitely large. God is God over and in and through all of these things. Um, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna show you show us a few pictures of some of God's creation. By the way, this is creation and thinking about creation is one of the main ways we get to know the character of God, according to Romans chapter one, right? So I'm going to show some pictures of a creation. I'm not going to show a picture of a hair, uh, but I'm going to show some pictures, first of all, of a lily. So isn't that a beautiful lily? The lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all his splendor could have clothed itself to make himself look as beautiful and incredible as this lily. The colors, the detail, the systems going on, the cells, the splotches of brown, all the different ways that that attracts the bees and how they reproduce and all, all these kinds of things. We've heard all that before. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful lily? But Jesus, maybe he had that in mind when he, when he said the lilies. Or maybe he had a, a beautiful landscape of lilies. So go ahead and to the, the next picture. Isn't that a, a beautiful scene of the incredible 
Like, don't you feel like God was just like, you know, uh, I'm going to take a little purple, and I'm going to put gold behind it. Purple and gold, isn't that just a beautiful combination of colors? I mean, I guess there's a splash of green in there, but it's, it's very small, and, and it's in second place for sure. Um, so just the orange and the red, isn't that beautiful? And maybe Jesus saw some beautiful scenes and is like, oh, man, this is, God is amazing. Okay? Um, and how about, uh, uh, I love, one of the things I love to do is go snorkeling. And when you snorkel, I remember the first time snorkeling in Mexico, there was like, you see the surface of the water and the water's pretty, but then you look under the water and you can actually see clearly. And all of a sudden it was like a whole brilliant world just opened up like, oh my goodness, like we didn't even know this was here. I mean, I kind of knew because I saw, you know, Finding Nemo, but uh, 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 um, it's actually real and live. So uh, here's a picture of a, a tropical fish. Isn't that amazing? Look at the detail. Incredible detail. Not just of how the fish works, the fact that a fish can survive underwater um, is amazing, clearly designed by God. But look at the, I, can't you just feel like that was fun? Look at the fun that God had. Get out my little stencil. I have this color. And, isn't that just amazing? God is an artist, a beautiful artist. You know, Something that's not beautiful can't make something like that. If that's beautiful, then how much more beautiful is God? Do you think in terms of God being beautiful? Or is he just strong and big and mean? I think he's beautiful. I think, I think his beauty alone would just extinguish us as, as humans. Um, the fish of the sea. And then, uh, and then he uses a bird. And so I have a, a, a one, two, three. Aww, right? Isn't that cute? But those two birds cuddling up there. And again, the color, the, the amazing creation. This is just on the surface of what we see. Um, but, but God, Jesus used birds in his analogy. So uh, these birds, um, I don't know, do they look worried? where their next meal will come from. I mean, what, what maybe the other birds are thinking about them? Uh, how, how high up the bird chain they're going to, to get in their success of life. Maybe their children birds are not acting the way they should, and so they're putting their heads together to discuss how to better raise them. I don't know exactly, uh, but we do know Jesus said they don't sow. They don't worry about the reaping of food. They're not storing up in barns. And yet, God takes care of the little birdie, doesn't he? He takes care of the bird in a very detailed way. He gives them what they need, when they need it, at exactly the right time. He handles, says, not a bird will fall to the ground outside of the will of the Father. That means the times of their life 
the time they were to be born, the time where they were to die, is all in the will. Someone, God thought this through for a purpose, for a reason, okay? And is protecting them and sustaining them and guiding them and teaching them to fly, allowing a few bumps into the ground to learn their wings, uh, how to spread their wings, et cetera, et cetera. This is all in the heart of God for a bird. And Jesus says, if that's God's detailed love for a bird, how much more you. Therefore, stop worrying about your life. Amen? They're doing just fine. So Jesus' point is with the birds, with the lilies, and with you, I got the hairs on your head numbered. I got the cells in your body counted. I have an incredibly detailed love for you. So the love of God, combined with the wisdom of God, combined with the power of God, combined with the beauty of God, combined all these things to form detailed thoughts of you and me. Detailed thoughts and ways for you and I. I want to read uh, uh, Isaiah 55 in verse 8. I know we're, get, we're a little uh, esoterical right now, and I'm hoping just to, to spur thoughts in you about God. You know, the Bible says that there, in the pride of man, there's no room in his thoughts for God. How much are we just thinking about who God is? You know, Isaiah 55, verse 8, very famous passage of Scripture, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Bible says here that the ways and the thoughts of God, it uses the word higher. It, it certainly doesn't mean more elevated than. It just means the richness of them, the expanse of them, the breadth, the depth, the height, the width, the detailed thinking of God produces a, a way of God. There's a way that God says, I want you to walk in. And one of the subtitles of this sermon series is the way of love. God relates to us in the way of love, wants us to relate to one another in this way. So the, inc the incredible combination of the wisdom, power, beauty, and the love of God produces a detailed thought and way that he presents toward man. What are the ways that this carries out? First of all, in his creation, his creation of you and I. Isaiah 43, verse 7. It says, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. 
Humans did not create themselves. You didn't, you didn't think yourself through and say, mm, I think I want an introvert personality, so I'll dial that one up and put that into my, myself in, in the womb. Okay? You didn't, we didn't create ourselves, and yet we act like it. Um, this is my life. I'm going to do with it what I want. No, it's actually not your life. And you can't do with it what you want. You were created by God, for God, amen, for his glory, uh, whom, whom I formed and made, Isaiah 43, verse 7. Psalm 119, 73, your hands made me and formed me. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations, specifically referring to Jeremiah, but it's not just Jeremiah that God would create. God would create you for a reason, for a purpose. And so he has a plan. He has appointed you to live in this time in history for a reason, for his glory. So this detailed thoughts and ways produces, number one, his creation of you. Number two, his purpose for you. You ever feel like, why am I doing this? You ever feel that way? In the day-to-day, -day, one more day, same old, same old, we lose sense of this greater purpose for which I exist. Um, and this is why humans struggle at times with suicide or suicidal thoughts, because what's the point? What's the purpose? And this horrible, horrific thought of Satan enters people's heads where it says, it would be better off without me if I didn't exist. That is such an offense to the God who created you so beautifully and wonderfully and perfectly. So, yeah, but I've messed up. I've sinned. God knew that that would happen before he created you. Remember, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you? Now, that's super deep right there. Maybe this is where our conscience kind of comes from, is... Something in us was connected to God before we came into this earth. I don't know for sure, but I know that, well, I don't know a whole lot, okay? <laughs> I know God. I'm trying to, amen? Um, creation, purpose. Because of this purpose, he has plans for your life, and he has arranged things in your life. He has arranged the parents you have, the siblings you have, and the children you have. I'll get into that a little bit later. But he's arranged that. You say, well, I don't like my parents. Maybe it's what you need to fulfill the plan and purpose for your life. Um, the provision for your life, the sustenance, uh, the guidance, and the protection that God is incredibly detailed in all these things. So now this begs the question, like, okay, well, if God is that detailed, then what about the suffering? What about the things that I don't like about what's happened in my life? You know, you're not the first one who struggled with this. Matter of fact, the first book in the Bible that was written is not the book of Genesis. The first book in the Bible that is written is the book of Job. And the reason, possibly, 
that the book of Job is the first and oldest historic book is because the problem of things not going the way we want them to go in our life is one of the biggest obstacles to faith in God. And so Job struggles with why is my life going so badly and I have so much pain, I've lost my kids, I've lost my health, I've, 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 uh, I'm just, this is horrific. My wife is saying, curse God and die. Um, and so let's look at, over at Job for a second, okay? Because we need to answer this question in order to have faith that God loves us in a detailed way. And then we're going to talk about some practicals and how to be filled and overflow this to others. But so Job is, is in suffering. He's in pain. Now, I don't know if you, you may have a lot of suffering going on in your life right now. And so this applies. But not all of us have an intense amount of suffering. I think all of us can say, my life didn't go the way I thought it was going to go to one degree or another, right? I mean, most of us can say, this isn't exactly how I had it planned. All right? And so the same principle, principles apply. So uh, Job here, he, he, doesn't, he he's, has all these thoughts and reasons, human logic, about why things are going the way they are. And then his friends have all sorts of other human logic about how things are going. And so they get back and forth, and they're arguing, and God is, seems to be sitting back for 30-plus chapters, just listening, and probably like, oh. Like, right? And Job and his friends get in trouble because they actually think they know what God is thinking and doing. And so there's, a, there's pride and arrogance that starts to build up and it creates an incredible amount of disunity. Okay? So then God finally enters the conversation in, in, in a rather intense way. Job 38, verse 1 says, Then the Lord answered Job, out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? So the first thing he's saying is like, you guys are people and you don't know what you're talking about because your minds are incredibly finite and limited. Remember the infinite infinitesimal and infinitely great mind of God, he's now inserting a few of those thoughts. In this whole section, read Job 38 through 42, it's incredible. This whole section, God never says to Job, Job, here's what I'm doing. Let me explain myself to you. God doesn't need to explain himself to us. But what he does say is, not here's what I'm doing, here's who I am. And here's who you are. Job 38, who is this that darkens my counsel? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. I love sarcasm. Sometimes I can get a little too sarcastic. But I, when I read this, I was like, God is sarcastic <laughs> at times. Tell me, oh, Joby, Job, if you get how smart you are. 
okay? Tell me if you understand. Uh, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And what, it's, what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it, set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Her features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Tell me, please. If you know all this, oh, incredibly smart humans. Do you, do you get the, the message um, in chapter 42? So he goes on, and he, he shares about the, the, the incredible wisdom and thoughts that he had in his ways and his, through his creation and through what God is doing. And then in Job 42, uh, Job responds. He responds one more time in the middle, but God said, I'm not done yet, okay? Stop interrupting me when I'm talking, <laughs> in a way. Uh, then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I, shall, I will question you, you shall answer me. My eyes, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Good answer. God said, good answer, Job. I forgive you, and I will re-bless you with all the things I took away. I'll give you all of them again, because I'm God, and you're not. And by the way, confront your friends and pray for them. I'll forgive them too, but you need to pray for them. <laughs> okay? Um, God's answer is, I am God. So how does this relate to our anxiety and our worry? God is God. We are not. And we can rest in not needing to have the answers, but in just needing to have God. Amen and amen? So how do we feel... How do we get filled with this love and overflow? Number one, stop the pride. We all, as humans, we need to stop the pride. There is no place in this context of God, in God's understanding, for us as humans to be prideful. Children, teenagers, stop the pride. Old people, stop the pride. Entitled millennials, stop the pride. Gen Xers who are looking down on millennials, stop the pride. Joel, stop the pride. Okay? Teenage daughters, stop with the attitude and the pride. Closed circuit, too. Anyways. <laughs> um, stop. What? 1 Corinthians 1.25 
God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. Why do we think we're so smart? God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. We get too impressed with the wisest, the Einsteins. Oh, that person, they're so smart. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Number two, cast the worry and anxiety onto God. Philippians 4, right? We can cast it. You know, it's a cast. It's a, it's a strong action. We take our anxiety, and I, I got to do this about every day because I'm, I'm an anxious person, way too anxious. And I got to take that anxiety, and I got to ball it up, and I got to put it on that, you know, new fishing rod, and I got to cast it way, way far away. Because that fear and anxiety and worry kills my heart. It kills it. It stops me from being what God created me to be. Cast that onto God. Number three, reprioritize your life. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's what Matthew 6 is saying. Don't worry. Don't just stop worrying. If you reprioritize your life, then and you put God and his kingdom and the things of God first, then guess who will handle everything else? God will handle your finances. He'll handle your worries. He'll handle your career. He'll handle your children. He will handle it. He's able to handle everything. But when you don't put God and his kingdom first, then you supersede and say, you know what? I'll handle it. I'll handle this. Because, God, you're not quite big or smart enough for, to handle it. So I'll take control. And I'll, as the, the, Matthew 6 says, the pagans, I will run after all these other things. Repower, I remember in my life when God, I remember adding it up, God was about seventh priority. Because I had school, I had girls, this was before I was a disciple, school, girls, money, sports, twins, Vikings, you know, you know uh, sub-sports, current sports I was playing, and, and, and grades, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then God, oh, yeah, maybe ninth on the list. And you say, well, that's not my priorities. We, our priorities are revealed by how we spend our time, not by what we think they are. Amen? Okay, number four, embrace God's arrangements. So God, in his wisdom and power and purpose, in sustenance and guidance, has arranged certain things in your life. He's arranged the family that you were born into. He's arranged the parents that you have. He's arranged the siblings that you have. and He's arranged the children that you have. Okay? You can fight that and argue that, or you can say, you know what? It is what it is, and there's a reason for it. Say, well, this bad happened to me, or my parents were jerks, et cetera, et cetera. Somehow, God works through that and produces in you what he wants to produce. Siblings, well, I, don't know, I wish I had this sibling or that sibling, or if Caleb Moose was my sibling, then, you know, he'd help me. And, um, you know, I wish I had Carter because he'd do my homework for me, or I wish I had uh, Joel Gordon or whatever. You know, the siblings that you have, God arranged that. Embrace them. Love them in a detailed way, amen? Um, and then uh, um, your family status, if you're single. The Bible says it's better to be single than to be married. 
Our culture says it's better to be married than single. Why don't we go by what the Bible says instead of what culture says? Yet we're unhappy with our singleness, our status. Maybe we should trust God's thoughts for our lives more than our own thoughts. Amen? Uh, if you're young and you just want to be older and married, slow down. Just be young. If you're old and you wish you were young, just be old. Okay? Get some respect. If you have no kids and you wish you had kids, if you have kids and you wish you had no kids, <laughs> okay? If you had more kids, you should have left less kids. I don't know, whatever. Embrace God's arrangement. When it comes to our spiritual family, it says God arranges the parts in the body, every one of them. So this is our family right here. This is it. We got the smart, we got the not so smart, we got the pretty, we got the ugly, we got the big, we got the skinny, we got the presentable parts, we got the unpresentable parts, we got this talent and that talent. We're, uh, we're all kinds of all over the place. And we're not perfect at all, are we? But this is the family that God has arranged. And I say, I love this family right here. And I give all I got to it. And it's not nearly enough, not nearly what I wish I could give. But it's all I got. So here it is, my family. Amen? And we got issues, and we got problems, and we got struggles, and we do good things, and we do a lot of bad things. Okay? But we are who we are. God arranged it. And we're going to keep working together to grow. Amen? Um, and then your neighbors. Remember when we moved to our neighborhood? I said, God, just put us in a place where somehow, if we love our neighbors, you will be glorified. And we got involved in kids' athletics and in the school and that sort of thing, and, and many have become disciples. God's used it. Embrace your current arrangements. Number five, relax and enjoy the moment. When we loosen the grip and let God's wisdom and ways and thoughts take over, then we can relax and we can actually enjoy the lilies of the field. We can enjoy the people around us instead of trying to fix or change them. And, uh, um, and lastly, give all your heart in love. So this how to be filled and overflowing is when you relax, you can give all your heart in love to the people around you wherever they're at. Amen? Say, well, yeah, but my, my husband, he's got issues. Mm -hmm. And give your heart and love to him. Well, if only my wife this. Mm -hmm. And give your heart. Well, my neighbor or my Bible talk leader, woo! And give your heart. Amen and amen, give your heart. When you give your heart and love, then you will gain an understanding of God's detailed love. You will gain a fulfillment of this love, and that will overflow in your love to the people around you. I love you. Thank you for loving me. And uh, we love the Word of God, and we love God in His detailed love. Amen and amen.